teams and plays with Texas players. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? Parker, I am refreshed and ready to go, is how I would describe myself this evening. I had a long weekend with the family, uh, stayed inside, played a little bit of golf, social distance. It was was just a while. I jumped into a swimming pool with my phone in my pocket, really just the highlights of any good long weekend. So it was great. Classic, the hallmark, the hallmark of a good weekend. Uh, some, some, in response to that, I will say, uh, life is for the living. Um, <laughs> you, you've great. been writing, haven't you? I have, I have been writing. Um, I'll do a quick plug right here and just get it out of the way. Yes, Grant, let me tell you, I have written more words about college football this summer than I have written in my entire life. I'm doing the uh, previews for Football Outsiders Season Almanac for 2020. Uh, I'm doing 25 of the top 50 college football teams. TCU was one of them, which is fun. I got to write about them. Got to write about some fun teams um, that are really exciting, uh, or at least I think I'm a, are really exciting. So I was much more excited to write the you know Memphis preview than I was the Virginia Tech preview, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, not to knock on anybody, football's fun. But, hey, hey, so don't, don't knock Justin Fuente. Come on. I like I like Justin Fuente. That wasn't that wasn't specifically at him. I love him. I love uh, yeah. No, no, that was that was just a random team that I had trouble uh, you know getting into. But so that's neither here nor there. That's just something that's been happening. Um, Grant, really excited for our podcast tonight. We have Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews, uh, your friend and mine, who uh, writes one of the better college football preview books. And in my opinion, one of the more fun ones because he's a little more renegade. You know, he's not Mm -hmm. Bill Steele or whoever. Like, he's not like a hardcore whatever. He's like, hey, I'm a smart guy. I'm going to put together some data and talk about these teams, which I really like. Yeah, and and Pick 6 Previews is legitimately one of the most accurate preview outlets, websites, whatever uh, you want to call it. I told him this as well, but I found him on Twitter and was like, why do more people not know who this is? Like yeah. he is incredibly detailed and kind of be thorough has a lot of really, I won't say unique because it, it I mean, it is, but he just ha- kind of knows what he's talking about. And that's right. not, he's not like trying to be contrarian or anything. Right. He's just like amazing at picking up patterns. And so he sees things that other people yeah. don't see. Like the guy's super knowledgeable. Um, really fun to talk to it. I, I was excited to finally pick his brain a little bit on how he sees TCU big 12 and the national kind of, you know, spectrum of college football. So uh, yeah, really great interview with Brett. Definitely. We're excited about that. We're excited about also, uh, I don't know if you missed it, but last week, listeners, uh, the Purple Theory newsletter started um, and <laughs> I had a post up about what else do I ever talk about? The TCU offense and how a positive post, I'll say how Doug Meacham's return to the TCU staff might bring back some, some glory days of TCU offense. So go, um, you can get the link on Twitter to subscribe to that newsletter. Uh, it is free. It will be in your in your news box once a week for the entire summer. And this week, we have another piece that I did not write and that and Grant I did, did not write. So you're going to get some content from some friends of ours as well, which is very, very exciting. A way to do some slow news, some deep analysis, and some really, really high quality TCU, Big 12, and college football content right in your neighborhood. I, but yeah, you know, I had I a joke I, I was going to say that. I don't want to yeah. say that. I don't want to say it or not. Uh, that's because I, yeah. um, <sighs> like, subscribe, all that. Yeah. Last thing I'll say about the podcast is um, make sure that if you like the podcast, you share the podcast, you subscribe to the podcast, you rate the podcast. I don't say that for my own vanity. I say that just because those are ways that people who want to hear about this podcast can discover that podcast. And that's our goal is to connect with people who want to hear high quality content about TCU, Big 12 and college football. 
Yeah. And especially like if you know someone who went to a school that we have previewed, like share it with them. And that way, because like I said, we're a TCU podcast. We'd like to look at the big 12 as well. And, and uh, I don't know about you, Parker. I like to think we're fun for all fun for the whole family. If you I think so. <laughs> I, I think so. Uh, I had my uh, brother-in-law, his, his dad's a big tech guy and he shared the preview and his review, uh, his dad's review was, this was, accurate and uh disappointing because <laughs> he was Perfect. talking about texas tech football so <laughs> i've uh, never heard texas tech football described <laughs> better words it's great it was great <laughs> that's good hey parker before we get to brett I, I i have one thing i want to address yeah hit me yeah okay um i mean hit us the listeners yeah yeah well i'll, I'll i'd hit you but you're you're far away um last week we missed talking about a subject that was kind of dominating college football headlines and it has to do with, you know, players speaking out uh, about racial injustice and, and some other things. And uh, I had some thoughts on it. So this is especially in regard to Oklahoma State, um, the situa- situation with Mike Gundy um, wearing a, I guess it was a One American News shirt uh, and, and appearing in a picture with it. Uh, and Oklahoma State, you know, uh, Chuba Hubbard um, was, was very vocal about his opposition and, and his passion. And um, I'm, I'm using these generalities, if you will, just because I don't know the exact words to use. Um, but, but I think you all know what I mean. Um, and we had a great question from Melissa, um, from frogs of war asking, you know, how, how do these players using their voices, how is that going to affect college football moving forward? Um, and I, I guess my answer to that is that I think it is only a good thing. And, and here's where I'm coming from. I, I, I want players to be people. That's what they are. Um, and these are 19, 20, 21 year old men that are young men. They're human beings. Um, it always bothers me when, you know, one of their big issues was they wanted the dress code to change and, and they wanted, you know, relaxed rules for music in the locker room, stuff like that. Um, without sounding like too much of a radical, that's, that's not that much of an ask. And the fact of the matter is, is that the dress code probably doesn't fit in with the culture and, and, and what they grew up in. Um, so it, it feels almost alien to, to, to a lot of players in the locker room, um, regardless of race. Um, I, I think it does. This is also one other thing I wanted to address, and, and that's I saw a lot of people, especially with regard to Oklahoma State, react to a Doug Gottlieb tweet. Um, I don't like Doug Gottlieb. I'll say that up front. I have no problem saying that on national media. Um, and a lot of the response to it was, well, coaches are there to mold young men, and they have to make sure that they're ready for the real world. Uh, BS. Coaches have to win. Plain and simple. A college football coach is not judged by the, the men he makes. I think the great ones do make good men as a byproduct. But all that, you know, when the, when the great score calls your name, it's not whether you win or loss, it's how you play the game. It's all BS. College football coaches and the programs are measured by wins and losses. And if Mike Gundy thought that playing the music they wanted in the locker room would win games, he would do it. Um, personally, I, and, and here's, here's the thing, and here's how I'll wrap up. I think it will. I think an active, unified team with a voice that is passionate about a cause or passionate about reforming the way college football works will lead to more wins. That's not the most important thing in the world, but I think it is a byproduct because they can unite around having agency. They can unite around being able to speak their minds. And, and I, I don't know, I, I know I was ranting there, but, but I, I, I stand behind a lot of these players that are speaking up and using their platforms for good. Um, I'm always a fan of people doing that and I'll always stand behind them. So. Absolutely. And, th- and that's well said um, and, and timely and a, and a good perspective. And the only thing I'll add there is the more we can move away from, uh, you know, kind of the 
all of the nonsense that gets ushered into the coach player relationship under the guise of football or building character or whatever nonsense that is and realize that like a player signing a scholarship at a school is a mutual uh, relationship that is to serve the self-interest of both the player and the coach. Grant, that's a good perspective and that's well said. And th- this is one of those off-field college football stories that I'm, I'm glad are happening. Most of the time, I feel like those stories are distracting and annoying and, and this is decisively not one of those. So um, important to listen and learn and understand what's going on. Um, and, and that was well said, Grant. Uh, I know transitions from serious issues to lighter issues are um, a little tricky. And so I'm just going to plow through this and say that was serious. And um, we're going to talk about college football now. And we're really excited to talk to Brett Siancia. So please enjoy the interview. Tonight, Brett Siancia of Pick 6 Previews joins us. Uh, Brett, thanks for hopping on the show. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, excited to be talking, uh, talking football again after five months working on this preview book and finally back into radio season and podcast season. So uh, thanks for having me on. Definitely. We are, um, we are gearing up for the season. We've been doing a slow preview through some Big 12 teams and are, and are taking some detours here and there to kind of talk about big picture issues. And, and uh, we definitely wanted to have you on because your preview magazine uh, or, or book, I don't know if we're calling it a magazine or a book, uh, regardless, it's very thorough and um, very well researched, is, is out just this week. We are super excited. That kind of marks, uh, along with some others, kind of the start of the preseason for us. And so I'm very excited to be talking about football in general. Yeah, Brett, I remember when I like I first saw your Twitter account and was following you, I was like, why are more people not reading pick six previews? Because every prediction you made seemed to come true or 95% true. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited for the, the, the previews to come out. Um, it, it, I mean, tell the people kind of what's your, what's your system like? What is the, you know, the magazine cover and, and how do you break down the season? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks to both of you for having me. Um, and I'll, I'll throw it right back on to you guys for, uh, thank you for putting out a great show. Um, in part of my preparation, this is a one man show on my side. The, the preview book is a one man, uh, one man organization. So, uh, I tune into local radio, local podcasts all across the country, team by team. And uh, what you guys do with TCU. Uh, in the Big 12 at large, um, you know, it's excellent. It's an excellent balance of the numbers uh, and then the stories involved, um, you know, roster roster breakdowns, the whole bit. So I, I appreciate what you guys do. A lot of people don't understand the amount of time that goes into a podcast, but uh, you guys keep it coming every week. So congrats there. Um, as for Pick 6 Previews, we launched back in 2012. Um, since then, it's become a one-man show. Uh, it's an annual season preview book. Um, and over those first seven seasons, we graded the most accurate in the country uh, in terms of Power 5 and BCS pre- uh, predictions. And that's out of all the ones you'd see on newsstands, all the ones you'd see online. But starting last year, 2019, it was my first actual book I put together. Uh, it's a downloadable PDF. It's all 65 Power 5 teams, tons of infographics, uh, stats, advanced stats, uh, trends, but then also putting it back into a readable form because I think it's important to, you know, you have the data there, but what does it mean? What can we gather from this? Um, and then uh, after the release of that book, I became uh, selected to become a Heisman Trophy voter, which is the yeah. ultimate honor. So uh, I'm excited here. It's year two of the book. Uh, it just launched on Friday. So like I said, excited to do the radio tour now. Um, and then real quick, one last thing you mentioned about my process, what goes into it. Uh, it's really the end result of a thousand hours of work. It's 
you know, film study, a ton of it, uh, talking to coaches, talking to coordinators, um, li- listening into local shows like, uh, like I mentioned with yours uh, all across the country, uh, looking at, you know, practice reports, spring games were, were big for me. It, it kind of, you know, it was rough without them this year. I'm one of those guys that's watching every spring game, not for the, you know, not for the final score or the yardage, but um, to see the new schemes that are being implemented, to see new starters rising up or uh, early enrollee freshmen. Uh, spring games are pretty important research tools. So without it, I leaned a little bit more on the coaches. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of all encompassing, but I try and give the, the reader, uh, you know, something that, something that all football guys would like to read. Awesome. Um, I, and I specifically want to highlight, Brett, you have uh, a stat I really, really like and something that has in, inspired me to look at some numbers. Your, your game grader. Can you tell us a little bit about that game grader stat and what that does for um, looking at teams and assessing performance uh, across, across teams within years, but then uh, within, within teams across years? Yeah, uh, game grader is a formula I designed. So actually 2019 TCU is the perfect case study here uh, what, because – uh, when you look at, you know, when you look at a team's win-loss record, it doesn't really paint the whole picture of the season. Uh, and that might be an obvious statement, but I think it's important to mention. And, and not only that, when you see a final score come across the ticker there uh, when you're watching a game, you don't really know what happened that Saturday. You don't know the ins and outs. Um, so I think that it's important to break it down. Uh, you know, I have factors in there, scoring differential, yardage differential, uh, per play metrics for pace of play in there, uh, you know, explosiveness, efficiency, uh, all, all the normal metrics but the key being that you scale it towards the opponent at the end uh, because, you know, beating Rutgers by 50 and beating Ohio state by 50 uh, are clearly two different outcomes. So uh, I'd like the opponent scale on there. So what this, what this tells us and why 2019 TCU is a perfect case study is they went five and seven in the win loss record, yet they still finished in the top 25 of of my game grader formula. And uh, when you look at it on film, when you look at it anecdotally, it kind of makes sense. I mean, and I don't, I don't tell you guys, as TCU guys, this team was way better than five wins. Um, I think it was five of those losses were within a score. Um, and a lot of that, well, seven were within a score. I think all of them were within a score. And um, you, uh, TCU outgained their opponent in four of them. So, you know, as, an, as an, a statistical outlier, it's definitely there. But then also, like I said, anecdotally watching these games, the Baylor game, it's like, you had 10 chances to knock them off and it's just every single bounce went Baylor's way. You're, um, uh, you're trying to get my blood pressure up over here, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> no, hey, it's frustrating for me to watch. Cause I mean, it looked like TCU was the better team on multiple occasions. Uh, yeah. But Hey, if you, if you take a step back, Hey, that's a young team. Uh, you know, and this is a developmental type program. Gary Patterson has been incredible at it. He's got a track record, especially defensively with player development. So I just think that uh, I, I thought it would be the, I thought 2018 was the transition year and the development year. Maybe it was a two-year deal here, but I think it's time to start collecting those dividends in the next two seasons. Definitely. And and I want to hop into TCU right away, but first I want to ask you one question, and I I know you have an answer for this. What's your favorite prediction that you've gotten right so far uh, since you've been doing this? Oof. um, Well, one, uh, we used to do game picks two weekly, and I'm I'm bringing that back this fall. Uh, My favorite game pick, was probably in 2015 or 2014. This is a deep cut uh, when Ole Miss beat number one Alabama. Um, it was in Vaught Hemingway Stadium. Uh, Ole Miss, we knew, had this incredible defense, but they had a shaky quarterback, Bo Wallace, who, you know, in some, some, some games and some drives looked like an All American, but a lot of times it was turnover heavy. So we said, hey, if we get good Bo at quarterback, they're going to pull this upset. And, and we picked them to do so. And uh, you saw that storm in the field. Ole Miss actually got him the next year, too, twice in a row. But that was probably my favorite game pick. Um, 
talking about season-wide pick, uh, I had a couple last year I liked. I, I was the only guy in the country to not have Alabama in the playoff. Uh, you know, that's out of the 19 nationwide publications. I was the only one without them. And, um, you know, Joe Burrow helped me out a little bit there. But uh, uh, <laughs> Bama did not make it first time ever. And then my super dark horse last year was Utah, uh, not only to win the league, but to, to make the playoff. And as you can imagine, uh, made a lot of friends from Utah, made a lot of, uh, we'll, just, we'll just say, quote unquote, feedback on Twitter for that one. Um, <laughs> it was crazy. But for, for what it's worth, they didn't make the playoff, but it was a heck of a ride. They drove all the way down into the last Friday night of the year, uh, ended up blowing it against Oregon. But uh, that was a heck of a run. You know, it was almost like Utah was my team. I uh, took them under my wing for a year. But, uh, yeah, it's a blast. I love covering all these, all these conferences and teams. Some of the national guys you hear on the radio, they love talking just about the Bamas and the Ohio States and the Clemsons. I mean, I, I love digging into all these teams. I mean, I could find a story uh, on all 66. I love the coaching change programs because you get to look at new schemes and all that. So, and I, I hope that pops off the page, too, in the book. So, yeah. Well, and, and, and you mentioned, too, sort of drilling down a bit into TCU how Gary Patterson has that reputation of a guy who, who, who can find players who can turn teams around and certainly being a TCU podcast, we hope that happens soon. Um, you have a bit of a national perspective on this and uh, I'm, I'm curious nationally. I, I feel like there's a sort of narrative that, that Patterson might be slipping a little bit. Or he doesn't have the same edge as he has in the past, but do you think that's true? Cause, cause I, I still think he's got a few good years left in him. Defensively. No, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, so, and this, this is more towards Parker because of his, uh, his deep analytics on Twitter. Um, but I have a, a new metric I added to the, uh, to the book this year. It's a 10 year look at the coordinators on both sides of the ball, uh, and their offense and defense performance, um, against the opponent's average. So this is, this is especially important in the big 12 when you're running, you know, almost twice the amount of snaps as in a slower paced big 10 to really uh, scale that pace of play and opponent strength. Um, it's a long way of saying TCU over the last decade is fourth on defense when you adjust for opponent and you adjust for pace of play. Um, I mean, that's, that's not a surprise to you guys. Uh, they've been, they've been defense first and it's, it's ironic too, because the big 12 has kind of been the sandbox of offensive creativity, uh, not only in the, in the, in college football, but actually all of football. So to see a program own the defense and make it, Hey, we're going to run our defense and we're going to, you know, that our, our defense is going to be the differentiator is four, two, five match reading defense um, has been an outlier and uh, you know, has led them deep. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's not going anywhere. I think that it was a pretty young unit last year and they still graded out pretty highly. So I think that all that talent coming back, it was really young. Uh, the recruiting actually too is, is spiking up. So a lot of positivity coming out of TCU. I don't see that defense dropping off. Yeah. And, and before, because I know Parker has some a ton of questions for you on the offensive end, but before we go over there, looking at the defense for TCU, I know a lot of fans um, and, a, and a lot of the local media especially are super high on uh, our Darius Washington, uh, Trevon uh, Merrick back at safety. I know Pro Football Focus ranked them as the number one and number two safeties in college football last year. Um, when you look at a defense like TCU and, and you compare it to the rest of the Big 12 and, and, and you know, to the rest of the, the power programs in the country, it's does it stack up at, at, at all levels? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it, it's right there. It, it should be one of the best in the conference again. Uh, like I mentioned, you're going to get all that efficiency of bringing back young guys. Um, one of the best safety pairings, I know some other services had them as the best safety duo. Uh, and I don't think it's hyperbole. I think that, um, especially in this system, uh, Patterson's scheme, really, he needs to have those guys back there. 
that can do it all in coverage and then come up in the run game too. So I like that pairing back there. Garrett Wallow also, just a tackle machine. Um, you know, a young question, best linebacker in the league. Uh, and then even up front, yeah, you lose a couple um, – you lose Ross Blacklock. But uh, I think O'Shawn Mathis started to emerge there as a freshman star. Uh, and then you got some experience back with Beth Lee Cooper, Workman. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's solid. And especially when you consider the offenses that they're playing against, uh, that's why I really like that, um, that pace of play uh, and, and opponent adjustment because it really shines through in that regard. Throw this team in the Big Ten. I mean, it'd be you know, the number – well, you saw it in the Mountain West too, but throw this in a slower-paced uh, offensive league, and this would be the top unit in the country some years. So uh, it's all yeah. a testament to what he's, what he's done there. I can't tell you how much I agree with that, uh, and I'm glad to hear someone else say it. I'm also gl- uh, sure Parker is glad to hear that you mentioned Parker Workman. Uh, we're big, we're big fans of Parker Workman. I'm busting at the seams to tell you that if you don't know, Parker Workman has his last name, Workman, tattooed in all caps on his forearm. You should Google him later. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, again, I think the defensive optimism is actually absolutely warranted and, it, and it's affirming to hear that from a national perspective. You know, we're not deluded TCU fans. There is, there's real talent and, and Gary Patterson's scheme is, um, you know, stood the test of time also because he's been able to adapt. Uh, but if we look at the, you know, the, the reason TCU was five and seven last year and not eight and four, for instance, it was the offense. So, um, how do you square some optimism with TCU uh, knowing their offensive struggles and kind of how consistently in those one score games, they tended more towards bad than unlucky? Yeah, I have a couple things here. Um, so one, one kind of mini rant I have is uh, with Max Duggan, I'm a big fan. I think that he played pretty well as a freshman. Uh, yeah. He, he threw like a freshman that, that, that might be true. 15 touchdowns and 10 picks. Uh, an elusive runner, a game-breaking runner. Uh, and you got to remember, he was a freshman. So I thought, you know, I thought he turned in a pretty good year and uh, optimism coming into year two as a starter. Now, fast forward to April and this whole NFL draft media crew starts throwing him under the bus and really just changed the whole narrative about the guy. I thought he was, uh, you know, a fierce competitor. The offense bought into him and has the, the respect of his teammates. And these NFL draft guys, my gosh, uh, I guess because it was Jalen Rager was on all the highlights and they were starting to put two and two together about, you know, why, why didn't this team score 60 a game? Whatever the reason, he got, you know, he got a bad rep there in April. Uh, I'm a Duggan defender. I think he'll take care of the ball better. And, and that's just not even a knock on him. That's just on youth and inexperience. That, that always trends forward after a first full season. So um, look for more stable quarterback play. Uh, that's, that's the one mini rant I had. Another thing, and uh, this was a question I saw on your tweet today where you were trying to gather some questions from the – from the followers and, uh, and Melissa from frogs of war had a good question. Um, what is, what, what needs to happen to unlock this offense? Um, you know, I think right away you'd say stable quarterback play, but to dig it a, a bit deeper to encompass the receivers too. And, and, the, and the scheme itself, I think explosive passing has to, you got to start getting chunk plays in the pass game and long yardage touchdowns in the pass game um, just to break open the game. Uh, because if you hit on one or two of those a game, now, instead of these one-score one losses or tie games late, you're up by seven or ten. So, I think – and that also ties in quarterback play. That ties in scheme. That ties in utilizing the receivers that you have out there. There's some stars out there you got to get on the ball. Um, so, I'd say the one thing that's got to click is, is the long yardage chunk play pass game. Brett, you are welcome on this podcast anytime. Yeah, Max, Max Duggan rants are, uh, are our specialty. So that's, that's yeah, it's great. These, it's, these, it's these draft guys. It's just, uh, I don't know, they pick the target and just ruin the guy. I don't yeah. understand it. So I hope yeah. that he comes out and proves them wrong. Hey, he's a heck of a runner, too. They run against Kansas State. 
Um, and even this one, uh, the run against Baylor. Now, I think they did call him short by an inch, but it reminded me of that they last play. They called him out of bounds. From, yeah. Which, which – He was out of bounds. It's, uh, it's fine. No, but he, regardless of where they spotted it, it reminded me of that Friday Night Lights play, the last game of the state title where the guy was breaking <laughs> and spinning and everything. I mean, so, hey, that's, that's awesome. a freshman doing that. So, I think uh, there's, there's good things coming from Duggan. And finally, kind of a program started to build around an offense. Um, and, and, and I always have to note at this point, like, things were getting better and the Texas game happened and then Lucas Niang tackle who was drafted went out and things got very, very bad, very, very quick. So not a lot of context on the national scale. So again, it's, it's good to hear someone nationally um, affirm that. Okay. So uh, we won't go this in depth on, on every team, but I do want to ask you, give us a, a best case and a worst case scenario for TCU this fall, just in your, um, in your research and your estimation. It's, it's tough because I had Oklahoma as kind of the, the, the locked in first place team. I mean, such a track record there. I don't see it shifting overnight, but I had trouble going from, from two to six in, in the standings there. And I could see any of them rising up to, to second place even, uh, or maybe they hit another year of inexperience and, and fall back a bit. So um, if, in terms of win loss record, uh, let's see. I mean, they do draw a favorable non-conference. Now I say that and SMU should have been a win last year, but uh, I think you beat them this year. Uh, Cal, I'm not really sold on Cal. I think TCU is a better team. So, anyways, a long story short, probably the best best case scenario would probably be eleven wins. Um, not saying it's likely, but best. Right, right. And worst case, I don't think they miss a bowl. I don't. I don't know how this defense and another year of experience by Duggan and company on offense uh, goes bowlless. So, um, I, I think the floor's bowl season and uh, and the ceiling. Who knows if, if the offense clicks? If uh, if 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 Cumbie and Meacham, you know, get back some old 2014 sparks, this thing could be uh, – you guys could be playing Arlington again. So, we'll see. I, I, and I hope so. And, and you, you kind of mentioned going back to that Big 12 championship game and, and expanding our, our look out a little bit to uh, uh, sort of the grand picture of the conference. I, Oklahoma, I agree, is sort of that top-line team. But, but there's one that I, I want to focus on, and, and we won't spend this much time on every team. But Texas is the – story every year it's are they back are they not back and and me and parker have very uh, often said that they are not back and we are time and time proven right again but i do want your opinion on the longhorns because sam ellinger comes back um they lose a little little bit of talent um they get some guys back that might have been hurt so so what's your opinion of texas this year yeah you kind of hit it there texas is definitely the wild card they always are it's just the, the annual struggle as a predictor here uh between you know the raw recruiting rankings what they look like on paper in february and then what actually happens on the field, it's just, it's unbelievable. So part of that is head coaching. Part of that's coordinator, you know, coordinator schemes. It's also a pretty big gamble for Tom Herman to, to fire both coordinators and bring in new guys uh, ends up without a spring ball. So, I mean, it is going to be, it's going to be tough to, to get two new schemes installed. Now, again, then you grapple with, Hey, they have the best talent. They recruit the best. Um, I don't know. Uh, to give you a quick answer, the two weaknesses that they had in the 2010s decade was, was quarterback play since Colt McCoy left and offensive line. It's looking like those are strengths now. Herb Han has been incredible as an offensive line coach there. A couple uh, NFL guys on the line now and Ellinger. I mean, what can you say? So I, th- I think they're a solid bet for the, for the upper tier of the conference, not to win the thing, but to be up there. Brett, we want people to buy your book. We want people to read your insight and in depth about every team. So we're not going to go line by line through the Big 12. We're not even going to ask you what two teams you think are going to be in the Big 12 championship because we want to uh, leave that up to mystery. I do want to ask you about one more team. Uh, who in the Big 12 is going to surprise us, either good or bad, in 2019? Who's your kind of dark horse Big, Hel- Big, Big 12 contender or your sneakily, sneakily bad Big 12 flame out for 
this fall? Yeah, so I don't know if you can call them a, a dark horse anymore, but it's Oklahoma State to rise up this year. I think that, um, you know, whenever Mike Gundy and, and his staff gets a trio of offensive weapons like this, we're talking about quarterback, running back, receiver, uh, you know, they had it with uh, Whedon back in the day with, with Blackman and Joseph Randall, and then again with uh, Mason Rudolph and James Washington and Justice Hill. But the next version here is Spencer Sanders, it's Tylen Wallace, and it's Chuba Hubbard. I mean, talking about two All-American guys at the skill positions and a rising sophomore who showed some glimpses of excellence in Sanders. So, uh, and not to mention their defense is, uh, not to mention their defense is usually a weakness, but uh, really surged at the end of the year. The back half of the year, they were in the 60th percentile of defense compared to just they were in the 10th percent early in the season. So you saw them surge defensively at the end of the year. Ten starters back on defense. It's veteran. I think they have enough there to, uh, to move up to second in the Big 12. Yeah, I, I was really impressed by Oklahoma State's defense as well. I, I wrote something before the season sort of like expecting them to get there. And then, like you said, the first few games, I was like, oh, no, I have really blown this. And in the back half, they turned it around. Yeah, uh, while, we're, while we're talking about receipts of great predictions, Grant literally wrote the, hey, Oklahoma State's secondary is going to be sneakily really good this year. And by the end of the year, that was very true. So Bingo. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. That's, yeah, that's a good call right there. I mean, you're talking about a couple – all-conference guys, even some All-American candidates. Um, mm -hmm. I know Colby Harvell-Peel is earning some, uh, some All-American buzz. Um, Rodarius Williams, also a guy who had NFL looks and turned it down for one more year in Stillwater. So even, even in losing a three-year starter, this is one of the best units uh, in the conference for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, we'll move on to, to the national scale, but I have one more Big 12 question, and, and I kind of want to focus on the guys that, that started at their jobs last year. Um, we're going to exclude Les Miles from this discussion because it's Kansas. Um, but between Matt Wells at Tech, Neil Brown at West Virginia, and Chris Klayman at, at Kansas State, which coach landed in the best position or situation, and which coach do you sort of expect to make the leap first with their new team? So two different answers. One, who's in the best okay. spot? I think that Chris Kleiman is the best fit for out of the three you're talking about. Um, I think it was proof of concept last year that that North Dakota State smash mouth offense um, and program style can work in the Big 12 as an outlier, uh, as a team that's going to line up and try and punch you in the mouth. I think that's, that could work. Um, in the very short term, they lose all five starting linemen um, and they're leading rusher and they're leading receiver. So I think the offense goes through a transition year. But I love the fit long-term, given the resources and the location and the recruiting style. So uh, good fit there. In terms of success this year, um, I have Texas Tech there, the highest of those three in my preview. Um, it, it is fascinating how all, all three of these endless miles are going to go through their first offseason without a spring ball and all, you know, all these new variables to deal with. But um, when you look at Texas Tech, like TCU, a lot of close losses last year. Uh, I think three were by a field goal. Um, especially the one against Kansas. I don't know if you guys saw this, where uh, Kansas was going to, to, uh, to try and tie the game with a field goal. Tech blocks it. Uh, on the run back, as time is expiring, they fumble the ball. Kansas recovers and kicks the, 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 the field goal there. So just ridiculous bad luck in his first year. I think that's a better team than, than what the win-loss record showed. Um, it's a little bit – it's not as air raid as it used to be at Texas Tech, but it's still in the same vein there, uh, spread passing. So I think it's a fit for their – for the Texas style, um, and we'll see if he can get that defense shored up. But that's that's been the case with Texas Tech for two decades. So uh, I think it's I think they'll be uh, the highest of the three this year. I know my cousin will be very excited about that. Uh, <laughs> noted Tech fan. 
and friend of the podcast, Will Brasher. Oh gosh. Uh, shout out to Will Brasher. Um, all right, Brett. So let's, let's turn nationally and we'll kind of, we'll kind of do some potpourri here because we've got a couple questions and um, just want to hear your take nationally. And the first thing we have to do is we have to address your playoff picture. So uh, uh, speaking of a friend of the pod, Will, Will Taylor, a, a good friend of the pod, um, just tweeted when we had questions, your, your playoff picks. And so before I ask you to defend your top four, which were number one, Clemson, number two, Ohio State, number three, Florida, number four, Oregon, um, I will note, like you said earlier, you were the only major publication to have uh, Alabama out of the playoff last year. You were also the only major publication to have Utah uh, sniffing anywhere near the playoff uh, last year as well. So um, a little bit controversial, but you've had some success in the past. So again, give us some insight. How did you settle on uh, these four teams? And, uh, and why do you think uh, specifically Florida and Oregon are going to be round out the playoff? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good you brought up last year because it gives me a little bit of credibility in the playoff. Uh, <laughs> I was even on the right side of the Ohio State-Michigan debate. Uh, most had Michigan um, or the Big Ten being left out. I had Ohio State last year. So the first two are, are no-brainers, Clemson, Ohio State. I think everyone knows everything about those programs already. Uh, three and four. Um, yeah, so with Florida, I mean, you know the SEC champion is getting in, right? And uh, it really came down to three teams for that spot, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Um, with Alabama, I see them going through a transition on defense where, you know, uh, Nick Saban had never allowed 45 points to an SEC team coming into last year. Happened twice in November alone. Um, so I think uh, – and when you factor in, they lose both their edge guys to the NFL. Three-fourths of their secondary is gone. Uh, kind of a, a rebuilding on defense in a short offseason. Uh, plus, they're replacing Tua. So, and then with Georgia, uh, what made them strong on offense or you know, relatively strong was that offensive line probably the best in the country last year. Four of those guys are now playing on Sundays, and they lose a multi-year starter, Jake Fromm. Uh, yes, they're trying to modernize the offense, but again, and I don't want to keep bringing this up, the, the, the no spring thing, but I think it's massive. When you're losing 15 practices, these programs that are going through changes. Uh, fast forward over to Florida. It's the third year under Dan Mullen and, and his uh, D coordinator, Todd Grantham, who have had great success wherever they've been together. Uh, but finally, they've always had the defense, kind of like TCU. They've always had that defense finally have the offense. It's Kyle Trask, could be the best uh, starting quarterback in the SEC. Um, it's a stable of five-star kids at receiver. Kyle Pitts, All-American tight end, is a game-breaker in the pass game. Uh, and they actually just landed a five-star transfer, got an immediate eligibility from Miami. So I think it's enough firepower. It's uh, coaching continuity in this unprecedented offseason and a favorable schedule, enough to put me Florida to win the SEC. And then um, quickly on Oregon, this one is even <laughs> this, this, this is getting a lot more feedback than the Florida one even was. So uh, with Oregon, yeah, they play Ohio State right away. And that's a lot of a lot of people's natural instinct, including my own, to just write them off. I mean, you figure, hey, they lose to Ohio State, they're out. Even if they do lose to Ohio State, uh, if they run the table in the Pac-12 and go 9-0 and in their league, uh, they're right back in the playoff picture. So I think they're strong enough and they distance themselves enough uh, from the rest of the Pac-12 to do that. And um, this isn't the old Oregon where you picture Chip Kelly and the speed and the gadget offense. Um, this is the, quite the opposite. It's Mario Cristobal has built this from the trenches out. It's uh, incredibly strong in the trenches, offensive line-wise and defensive line-wise. Uh, yes, they, they lose four offensive linemen, uh, but the four guys moving up have higher raw recruiting grades than the four they replaced. And I know recruiting isn't everything, but Cristobal is a heck of a, a developer and a proven track record there. Uh, and one last bit on Oregon, really the reason I picked them was their defense. I mean, this defense really, uh, they shined last year. They were top five in almost any metric you can find. 
10 starters back out of 11. For that one vacancy, it's a battle of two five-star kids coming in to fill that linebacker spot. So uh, not only is a veteran, there's a star power galore. It's five stars filling in for vacancies. Kayvon Thibodeau, you saw him late in the season, really grow into that five-star rating. So I think it's enough that they run the table in the Pac-12, regardless of that Ohio State game. And uh, finally, the Pac-12 gets back into the, in the race here. Yeah, I mean, I mean that'd be a lot of fun. Um, just just getting the new blood into the to the playoff with, I mean, especially with Florida. Obviously, that'd be the only team that hasn't made it already. But just shaking things up a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I I'm hoping that'll happen. To be honest with you, um, I I do have one question as well. So so this is starting at a, a school that I love and then transitioning to a bigger picture. So I'm also a Carolina fan, North Carolina fan, as you can see by my hat. And this has to do with recruiting. So. Mac Brown has really turned around North Carolina's recruiting. He's just absolutely pulling in like really good four stars and, and he's battling for five stars, stuff like that. When you look at a coach that like Mac Brown, who has a track record as a great recruiter when he was at Texas, even if he did want like Manziel to play safety or whatever, and, and doesn't necessarily <laughs> understand where the game was going. Um, but, but could bring guys to um, two schools. And then you look at a coach like Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, who like Tennessee hasn't won much, but they're killing it on the recruiting game. Do you think the balance of power is shifting at all from, okay, this school has all the resources, AKA Texas A&M or Alabama. And that's why they're getting recruits to this coach at this school is a great recruiter. And that's why recruits are going there. If that makes sense at all. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. You think of some of these programs that are, that are consistently winning on signing day, but not converting it to, to wins on the field um, with Mac Brown specifically. Yeah. I think he's a great figurehead. He's always been a great recruiter. Uh, I, I turn more to his coordinator hires are, are just as important as Mac himself. I mean, Phil Longo, I had the chance to talk to as one of my coach calls their offensive coordinator. He's next level. Uh, you know, it's spread game. He, he came up through the big 12 and, uh, and Ole Miss. Um, I think kids want to play for these fun dynamic offenses. Uh, not to mention their defense is going more to that hybrid stuff. Uh, Jay Bateman calls it p- positionless football. Um, so fun schemes to play in. But also, I think you got to look at the geography here where, um, you know, North Carolina never used to be a, um, a talent hub for, co- for high school football. But the last couple of years, it's all of a sudden, a, a, you know, a, one of those hubs, one of those top hubs. Um, under Larry Fedora, they struggled retaining the North Carolina talent. They used to retain only about 10% of the local five stars and four stars. But this class, like you mentioned with Mac Brown, 10 out of the 13 already, that's, that's good for 77% are already locked in to stay at home. Um, so he's keeping that elite four-star and five-star talent home like no one else in UNC history. So I guess uh, that's, that's a long way of saying I think it's both. I think resources matter and, and the program history matters. But if you have the personality and you have the, the coordinators to back it and the Power 5 platform, I think you can do it anywhere. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's always like, okay, well, he's a great recruiter. He can recruit anyone anywhere. Well, like Nick Saban can't, like he was at Kent State. He couldn't get five stars to go to Kent State. But I just get the feeling that if you are at a program with modest resources, I mean, you know, a, a lower level power five, you, if you're a great recruiter, kids will come to you. I mean, Matt Campbell is getting like, he's not getting five stars, but he's getting good three and four stars to Iowa State. So anyway, that's what I was yeah, going look at, look at, look at Purdue State. too. Yeah, yeah. Look at yeah. Purdue. Um, you know, historically one of the worst recruiters in the, in the nation as a program, but you bring in Jeff Brom, uh, he's got a fun offense. Like I said, they're, they're airing the ball out in the big 10 and uh, they notched their first top 25 class ever uh, a few years back and then backed up with another, I think top 30 or top 40. So yeah, uh, 
coaching scheme goes a long way. Kids want to play in these offenses and get stats. And, but then also, you know, the persona of the coach. And, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head there. It's a lot of factors factoring in this. It's not just the, uh, the brand label. Okay, so Brett, I think we have two two more questions for you here um, on the podcast because I could sit and pick your brain about the national. You know, I could talk about college football until the the kickoff happens in, in a couple of months. So uh, yep. we'll limit we'll limit our, our scope here. But so uh, again, give us um, one weird team, and I'm going to leave that definition of weird open. What's one weird team to watch in 2020? Well, I mean, I, I we just talked about UNC. I really do like them a lot. Um, I don't think anyone else will have them in their top 15. I do. Um, I, I hit a little bit about the offensive scheme, but personnel-wise, they bring everyone back. It's this guy, uh, he was a true freshman last year, Sam Howell, very efficient mm-hmm. with the ball, explosive long pass, uh, pass plays. Uh, and I talked to, like I said, I talked to Longo. What they're doing uh, without spring ball is they're, him and Howell are sitting down and breaking down these NFL game tapes, these all-22s, looking at every single variation of defense that could be thrown at him, every blitz package, every formation. So I think, you know, cerebrally, going from his first to second year, he's going to make a huge step. And that offense is going to be uh, one of the best in the country. Um, one last weird team uh, would be Texas A&M. I know that's not a popular pick on this podcast, but uh, uh, with, with a oh, we're very we're very comfortable with the relationship TCU has with Texas A&M re- regarding the last couple uh, College World Series, for instance. Uh-huh. Man, yeah, so – uh, yeah, with A&M, kind of a sleeper team, if you can call them that. I know that they, they're very vocal themselves. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, they return, I think it's 20 starters back or 19 starters back. Kellen Mond, a three-year starter behind Jimbo Fisher, who's a quarterback ace himself. Um, and kind of the difference being this year where the schedule flips, where last year they faced all these number one teams, top five teams, had Clemson in the non-conference. That all flips now. They draw a, a more favorable schedule from the East Division. They swap out Clemson for Colorado. So you're going to see a, a major flip in the win-loss column. Um, yeah, so that, that would be a weird one. Maybe Tennessee can, can surprise us, but they're, they're known to heartbreaks just like Nebraska, so who knows. I'll, uh, I'll try to make sure I put this podcast on Texag so that uh, everyone can hear your prediction. Um, yeah, it's at my, my favorite place on the Come on over, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I – I guess my last question is Parker has this weird theory on playoff expansion to where basically he just wants to leave it at four because he doesn't think expanding it to six or eight or 12 will create any more parity. Um, and because it's like the one topic that is evergreen in college football, um, what's your take on college football playoff expansion? What do you think is the right number? What do you think is the likelihood of it happening anytime soon? Well, I guess I'm with Parker then. I'm, I'm a strict uh, four-team playoff guy. Oh, my God. Um, you know, because here's the deal. I know this is a hot topic, and I, the, the, the vocal majority even on, on Twitter and elsewhere is to expand it out. Um, my thing is, I think that when you expand out a playoff field, it starts to lose the value of all those September Saturdays and October Saturdays and, uh, and rivalry week in November. Even the conference title games, some of them would, would just become exhibitions. I mean, if you have Nick Saban who's already locked in a playoff spot, He's going to bench all his starters and not show off any new, any new scheme, right? So um, my, my point on this is I love March Madness. Don't get me wrong. It's a great tournament. But go and show me the most uh, – or, or any, pick out any uh, meaningful college basketball game regular season-wise that you, that you remember where you were watching it. You know, everyone was talking about it for a week. Uh, it doesn't exist. So for me as a college football purist, I'd rather have those 12 incredible college football Saturdays where every – on every college campus nationwide, it's the biggest game. Um, compared to, hey, if you lose five games, it's okay. 
uh, just win that, that conference title for an, you know, an auto bid and you know, make the, the 2014 bracket. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more in the sense of keep it as it is, keep that regular season as, as pure as it is because, I, I mean, it's almost like we have 13 mini holidays in the, in the fall, and I, I say keep it that way. Um, and, hey, if you go undefeated, you're in. If you, if you lose a game, it opens up to a, to a committee, and, you know, so be it. You got to look at yourself in the mirror. You lost the game. So, I don't know. That, that's my little rant about it. But I'm, I guess I'm on Parker's side. Yeah, and uh, I will just note, I, uh, for, I have totally different reasons for that. So, I'm actually, like, very pro-conference realignment okay. because there's inequity in, like, Alabama losing a game and TCU losing a game are entirely different things for college football. Um, and so, I'm, like – I'm either like keep it at four or make it hilariously like it doesn't matter and there's a hundred teams or something great, you know. <laughs> um, and then, but but I'm also very very anti college football playoff committee. Um, I think they took the worst parts of the BCS, they put it behind closed doors, and uh, that kind of shifts the the power balance to a a more narrow scope of teams. Um, and so it's not like TCU would go undefeated and get left out of the playoff, but TCU, for instance, um, twenty fourteen. Yeah, it is, is not yeah. given, we'll say, the hermeneutical generosity to stumble during the regular season that, say, Alabama is. Um, for our listeners at home, hermeneutical generosity is because I was a religion major in college and I'm pretentious, and it just means the way you read something and interpret it. Uh, so interpreting TCU schedule. So, Brett, parody. What do you think about parody in college football? What do you think about how it's changing, how it has changed, and how uh, it, it'll be going forward? Yeah, um, I think that's what makes college football special is the parity. And I think the last, you know, four or five years, I guess the whole playoff era, we've gone away from it. I don't know if that's a, if they're correlated together. Um, if, if because now this four-team playoff is even a bigger stage that the talent is being conglomerated or, you know, flocking to those four or five schools more. I don't know if that's the reason, but I will say it's an unprecedented stretch to have multiple dynasties going at the same time. I mean, when you look back on college football history, yeah, there's always a – you know, a, a dynasty going that's maybe five, six years, they win some titles and then they fade away and, and it all rotates. But now you have that in almost every league. You have Oklahoma five straight conference titles, Clemson five straight with two natties in there. Um, you know, Bama goes without saying what they've done under, under Nick Saban. Ohio State just pencil them in every year. So it's not just one dynasty going, it's one every league. And it's just kind of a, you know, a, a uh, an accumulation of power at the top more than we've seen. So I, I want to get it back to how it was. I don't know if the, if the four teamer is the reason, but it's definitely happening uh, that you know, a handful of programs are running everything right now. Yeah. And, and in my opinion, uh, it's, that's, that's so boring. Um, like if you're I a fan agree. of Ohio state, it is great for you. That's awesome for uh, you know, the other, I guess what, 118 teams. Um, it really takes a lot away out of college football. Um, and so that's kind of disappointing. And, and listen, I'll say this. I, I prefer Brett's argument to yours uh, in terms of reforming the playoff. If, he, if you just want to like, keep college football's 13 Saturdays or whatever to the most entertaining possible, completely fine with it. I get it. Uh, I, I, that's, I, I really hadn't thought about it that way before, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Your numbers, they don't mean anything to me, but Brett's <laughs> argument I like. That's nothing, that's nothing new to me. Um, great. Well, Brett, this has been awesome, man. Very insightful. And uh, I think you and I talked. I was writing a football preview uh, myself, uh, and I was just resisting. I was, I was so unhappy that I had to wait uh, to open your book, but I'm, I'm excited to dive in tomorrow. All of our listeners should definitely go get it. Uh, where can people find you online? Where can they find your book, uh, Brett? So, yeah, the Twitter is at Pick6Previews. Uh, that's all spelled out. And it's pick6previews.com, and you'll see the link there. Um, 
on the page, I have a few sample teams uh, for first time customers or first, you know, anyone curious to check it out, what I'm talking about here, it's two sample teams are up there. It shows you the level of detail I do on every team, uh, the set of infographics, um, and there's testimonials up there. I, I'm really excited. I just got a major testimonial in from Chris Falica, the, uh, the bear, as he's known, on college mm -hmm. game day. Uh, he wrote a nice piece calling it a must read. Um, so really excited that, you know, the feedback nationally. Um, yeah, so that's uh, pick6previews.com. Awesome. And awesome, we will uh, link that in the show notes so all of our viewers can find it. Uh, Brett Siantia from Pick 6 Previews, thanks so much for joining the podcast this evening. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll talk in the fall. For thanks, sure. Brett.